Hey, welcome to the Jesus, Sex, and Politics podcast. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. And here we talk about all the things culture doesn't want to talk about. That will scare you. Well, Nathan, we've got a good show today. Uh, we've we got do. A special I'm excited. Guest. Yes, we've got a special guest. But before we do that, we need to give an update on where we are in our challenge, our weight loss challenge, March to 170. Okay, so we started three and a half weeks ago. Yep. Right? And you were about 187. Yep, point eight. You were one eighty-eight point seven. Okay, right. All right. So we took off from nearly the no, same place. No, no. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna get into this in a second, but not. Let's just talk about where we are now. So you are now where? I want to just say you are looking thinner. I see less chins on you. So well <laughs> uh, done. Hey, stop hitting on me. Okay, this is uh, <laughs> this is inappropriate. But no, you are looking good yourself. Uh, Thank you. I think we look like we're 22 years old again. I feel 35. Yeah, that's good. I, right. I feel much, much younger, and I, I can tell it's working. But technically, according to the BMI, uh, at 25, I am still overweight. So if I'm overweight, I know you're overweight because I'm beating you in this whole Dude, race. Listen, first of all, your scale's wrong. I'm sure of this. And then two, you just stopped eating. This is not no, healthy. No, that's not true. That is true. I You're just, doing 700 calories that, a day. That's not true. <laughs> I am doing about an average of 1,100 calories a day, and it's called discipline. You said that You're God sipping. spoke to you about being disciplined. I'm just more disciplined than you that's are. That's not true at all. Yes, it is. You're sucking egg yolks through a straw. You are slowly. making all this up. <laughs> no, that's what Maria totally told me. making it that is, up. That is it's not true. That is malarkey. Yesterday is, I had a huge steak and tomatoes. No, it, it is it is malarkey and I want to just make sure that everyone knows this. Okay. Okay, so uh I don't well, we're in the last what last six uh seven days, right? Seven days from today we gotta be down there. Uh you just crossed one eighty two. I've been at one 77 i think i have the best chance of winning this thing no man i don't i don't think so at all yeah i don't think so you're you know still what, eating, do eating you know, ice cream do you know what i'm gonna do when uh when i win i'm gonna laugh like kamala <laughs> oh yeah well you do that that's what i'm gonna sound like whenever you're buying my dinner <laughs> Oh, that's funny. All right, let's get to the show. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, we've got uh, Jim Hunsinger with us. Jim, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Good. Yeah, good well, to have you, man. It's very good to have you. So, Jim, you've been going to our, uh, our church now for a few months. Um, got to know you a little bit. We met at uh, kind of a political event outside of the church world. But um, you, you've you got a pretty amazing background when it comes to economics and and history. Uh, you write or have written for townhall.com you, on their finance page, right? Yes. And now you you write for the Christian Post, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. Now tell us a little bit about that. So what do you, what do you what's your forte? What do you primarily focus on when you're when you're writing? Um, well, actually, I got asked to um, I guess contribute several years back to Town Hall Finance by a, a friend of mine who's an economist, uh, Jerry Boyer, and um, I said sure I'd be happy to do that things around um, um, economics and even Christianity and so forth. So I asked him how frequently, and I thought you know maybe once every month or two or something like that. And he said, oh, equally. I went, oh my God, there, you know, there's no way I could do that. I didn't have time to, to write that. So I said, I'll, I'll, let me, let me think about it a little bit. Cause I wasn't sure what to do, but, um, I'd been just doing some of my own research for probably over 10 years around different, different subject matters around economics, around Christianity, around history, around the United States. Um, so what I figured out I could do is I could just chunk out what I'd already drafted up over the years and just use that. So that so you've been cutting them up into sections yeah. and kind of giving, which is which is amazing. When you told me that story, it's like that's that's you know God's leading 
you know, you years ago to begin to write your thoughts down on the paper and then, and you never knew where that was going to lead, but now you've got all this content that you can get out. So to me, that was encouraging and convicting because it's like, okay, be disciplined now if you feel led to write and to journal or to to just lay lay your thoughts out, you know, do it uh, do it orderly, do it organ and be organized. And you you don't know how God's going to use that down the road. It could turn into a book. It could turn yeah. into like in your case, uh, uh, columns in town hall and uh, other other big online uh, you know um, kind of news outlets. Yeah, it started, I don't know what it was, probably 12, 13, maybe 14 years ago now, I lose track of time. A colleague of mine sat down once um, and just said, you know, we need to write something up about how the United States is unique. And we came up with a little model, a um, little diagram model, actually ended up being based off of the diagram they use for the Toyota uses for their business, hmm. but we did it for the United States. And we thought we'd write up maybe seven or eight pages um, describing it. Well, you know, 14 years later, I think I somewhere between six and seven pages of kind of oh research my. that I've done since then. Just the more I found out, the more curious I got and the more I just kept on digging. It's amazing. Well, that that's a question I have. So how did, how did this become a passion of yours? How did uh, that develop? Um, probably a couple things, a couple things converged. Uh, going back a number of years when I, I uh, actually did research in, in manufacturing. So my background is manufacturing and engineering. And I did research in that. Um, to actually do a, a, some independent study courses and also actually did my master's thesis on a subject in that matter. So that me got, got me kind of down the research line of, of discovery. From the economic side, if I go back far enough, I'd rather take a, uh, I might have told you this, Micah, I'd rather take an ice pick and jam it into my temple than, <laughs> than study economics. <laughs> um, Micah, don't you have a degree in economics? I, well, I feel the same way sometimes. I, there are classes where I was like, why am I doing economics? <laughs> but as I, as I got, got out of, out of college and went to work and went to work in manufacturing and got to know business and participate in it and develop it, uh, made me interested in economics because what I saw going on in business and manufacturing in particular didn't jive up with the little bit of, um, I, say, I want to say the economics I had, but more so the economic rhetoric you hear out in the media and all that. It didn't jive up. So I wanted to close that gap. I that didn't make sense to me. So I started for quite a few years just trying to find out what it really was. And it, it took me a number of years. And eventually, as I discovered no, what are known, the guys known as Austrian economists, that's what kind of bro- broke it, open, broke it op- open for me from the economic side. Interesting. What's that Austrian economics? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a way to view economics, and it gets its name Austrian because the guys that kind of, they say, formulate it were of Austrian background. Uh, Ludwig von Mises and Karl Maker, although I think he was a German, and uh, Friedrich uh, Hayek were Austrian. So it kind of came out of that. That's, that's okay. where they're from. Now, can you tell uh, our listeners, uh, you know, so many of them, they might be more of a conservative group of people, but the vast majority of people don't understand America's economic system in order to articulate it much beyond it's a free market system. Yeah. They could say something like that, but could you give us a, a, a basic maybe history of where the United States was and then where did it develop or what is it developing into? Like, cause you, you not only love economics, but you love history. So give us a, a, a brief understanding of where we are now, yeah. but where we started. I'll try to, I'll, I'll stay, I'll say so, somewhat, 
we're still where we originally meant to be. I mean, we're supposed to be a a free market capitalistic society. The thing in my research, I've said it probably a better way to put it, what might be, uh, and even in a little diagram I did have, you know, one of the, there's like three tenets. One of them is free market capitalism. I might say now more, I'd say Hebrew capitalism um, versus just free market, although free market would be that. What does that mean? Um, Basically it's capitalism because capitalism is a free, you know, exchange of, of uh, assets and so forth and all Mm -hmm. that. But the, the importance of the Hebrew part of it would be the ethics behind it. So that's what's different is the ethics behind just free trade. Because there's lots of societies and pagan societies. When I say pagan, I don't necessarily mean that as negative, just mean non, you know, non-Christian, non-Jewish, non-Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly have, free, have had free trade for thousands and thousands of years. But it's that ethics behind it is what makes a difference. And that's where we derived, uh, derived out of. And as you know, I've talked with you, Mike, a little bit, I can trace that back to the first utterance to God all the way to the presence. Yeah. So, so that's um, the free exchange, the free exchange between individuals of goods and services in an ethical manner. Mm. So you've traced it all the way back to the first utterances of God. Yeah. Tell us about that. Um, I guess this. So, What's Genesis, first part of Genesis 1-1? In the beginning. In the beginning. God created. God created. So that's an economic statement. It's many other statements too, certainly, um, and probably many more statements. I'm not a theologian that would have it as well. But in the beginning, God created. So in the beginning, the first thing God created, he made, he developed. That's that's a that's a productive activity. God was productive. That's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, work. He God's worked. at work. At yep. work. And you know, as he goes through that process, it's always good. It's always good. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, um, his uh, his one creation, man, was more than good. It was very good. Mm-hmm. So it was good, but a differentiation. And then we're made in his image. So certainly, one of those manifestations is we're to be productive like God. Now, God creates from nothing because he's God, of course, mm-hmm. we can't create from nothing, but we create from that which God has created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we create, and do we do it to um, make things for ourselves and also to make things to trade for other people, God's other children. So that's where you get into free market economics and doing that in an ec- epic, uh, ethical manner. Yeah. So that's what I mean by that standpoint from in, in the beginning, God created. Um, also too, with that in the, um, I think in the translation, the Greek translation, they call God out. They call him a tecton. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Which yep, is like yeah. a builder, creator. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jesus is also called out as a tecton. Mm. So it's Jesus' father, his er- humanly father. So there's a, there's a whole economic story around that as well. That's related to even how he builds the church. Yeah. Uh, that word tecton um, in, in how he's, he's laying us in some places we are the living stones yeah. that he's laying down yeah. as the tecton. It made me kind of think of the other part of the economics. I guess I never thought about it, but it was goods and services because yeah. immediately in the scripture, it lays out, this is where metallurgy began. These people are obviously digging in the ground now for resources that may not just be laying on the top of the ground. And then you also have music that that begins. So there's a, there's service. a, there's a service, but also an invention with pipes and, and, and whatnot that, that has to come out and it, and it has to even develop into a language and into, into musical language. So we get all of that kind of, here's the creator, but now he creates the creation and the creation is now becoming creator. Yeah. In his image. Yep. In his and image. To service his, his other children. Yeah. You know, that's right. that's, that's we're excellent. always in service, right? Yeah, always I love in that service. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you look some of the best 
whether throughout history, even presently, the best businesses, they're doing the best job of servicing their customers, what we say, I guess, in a secular term, but it's really, they're doing the best job of serving God's other children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you look at uh, Amazon, right? Amazon is just one of the behemoths of of business. And what did Amazon do so well that that beat all the other businesses? It wasn't yeah. that they created it a product. delivery system. Yeah. their delivery. Yeah. Yeah. They can get you something in the same day. I mean, yeah. I could get something sometimes faster ordering it on Amazon than me running to Walmart and picking it up myself, exactly. which is phenomenal. So it's not always who has the best goods. Sometimes it's who can deliver the goods yeah, the in best. the best way. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I mean, it's and and I I think you know to your point, Jim. This is this is they're whether they know it or not, they probably don't, but they are modeling aspects of of the yeah. Creator when they when they do that well. And I think that's just the beauty in all of this. And you know, I want to go to kind of our, our founding father. So you know, they they studied Locke and Montesquieu and some of these you know uh, amazing philosophers when it came to government and, and economics. What did our philosophers know? Uh, about economics, how do they, you know, we, we're, we're fighting this battle right now in our society of capitalism versus socialism, right? This idea of like, well, yeah, I've even heard Christians say, well, Jesus was a socialist. Like this is this idea that, you know, socialism is somehow godly and somehow better than what our founders envisioned. Like talk, talk about that for a second. Yeah. So if you, um, first I'll say Jesus was not a socialist. <laughs> Amen to in that. In any shape yeah. or form. Um, and actually, and I'll just Why say- Why do you say that? So so people know when, because this is an argument that like some Christians will get hit with and they don't know how to respond. So why would you say Jesus isn't a socialist? So if you, and actually um, this goes back to pastors I had at uh, the church I attended in Pendleton, mm-hmm. um, two different pastors over the years. One thing both of them said, you know, years apart was um, the, 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 thing Jesus talks about the most is the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. What does he talk about second most? Money. Money, money finance, and so forth. Not maybe economics in a way we turn, but about mm-hmm. that. And actually going back to what we mentioned before about that first utterance of God being an economic statement, you can trace that. This would be a longer discussion sometime, but you can trace that from um, the creation story to uh, even in the garden, to the um, sons of Jacob, to the tribes of Israel, to in, with Moses, and also to Jesus, and also the Great Commission, and then how that transpired up into um, the Roman Empire and into Europe. There's the whole economic story goes all the way through there and, and lands right here to where we are today. That's what I mean by um, the same thing still here, although it ebbs and flows. And that's always been true with anybody with man. We never, I mean, even, uh, even the Israelites, when God was, it was, God was physically there, they still screwed it up. So we never get it quite right. And we're always ebbing and flowing. Right. Right. No, it's good. So, so then our founders knew this to be true. So yeah. would you say, you know, if, you know, to those who are saying, well, I don't know, capitalism is just the rich getting richer and they're just walking all over the poor. Uh, America needs to change their system. We need to go to a more loving, uh, uh, equitable uh, system for all. What do you say to that in relation to where our founders' minds were at? Yeah, so they were certainly um, free market, maybe not in the language we use today, but free trade. And all that stemmed out of, because this is also something too, historically, if you look now, when we talk about economics, we talk about economics separately from polity. They're never separate, never separate in the whole history of man. They're never separate. So if you go back enough years, 150 years and before, they would call those types of philosophers or writers uh, political economists mm. like uh, Adam Smith or yeah. David Ricardo, if you're familiar with him, they were economic. Um, uh, what did I just say? Uh, uh, 
political economy. Yeah, political economy. Because yeah, it was yeah. always tied together. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get back into what I mentioned earlier about the Hebrew capitalism. So you could have capitalism, and that's what people complain about, and rightfully so. We what do we call it? Um, um, corporate capitalism, or um, oh, what's the term that people say a lot? <laughs> just the just I crony capitalism. Crony yeah. capitalism, and that's not what we want, and that's not a good thing. I absolutely agree with that. Um, is not, but but that's why I say Hebrew capitalism because you must have certain ethics, in this case, biblical ethics, in order to drive that system to be as functional and fair as possible. And by being fair, it doesn't mean everybody's going to make the same salary. Right. We're all we're all born in the image of God, but we're not all born yeah. with the same talents. Yeah. And certain talents have a higher value than others. Most, yeah. most people need to remember that God isn't the, isn't a fair God. I mean, you can you can go back to the in in the way that we, we think well, about. He's fairness. a just, he's a just yes, God, right? Yeah. So he does everything right, and he does it in your best interest. But it's not always fair. It's not always the exact same. Because yeah. I was thinking about as you were answering the question about whether Jesus was a socialist. One of the great ways to look at it is the parable of Minas, parable of the talents, whatever. He does not give the same to everyone, yeah. Yeah. but. There's this also this principle in scripture that to whom much is given, much is required. You know, uh, we 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 hear it in Spider Man all the time. With great with uh, great, great power. Uh, power comes great responsibility. Yeah. He gives one guy five, gives another guy two, gives another guy one. He doesn't get upset with the guy with five or the guy with two. He gets upset with the guy with one yeah. because he was a lazy. Yeah servant yeah. right and you knew you should have put my money to work principles of work uh you go back i, I love rush limbaugh's books that he wrote towards children because he goes back and talks about plymouth rock and how you know the the governor they had originally apportioned land yeah. to everybody and told everybody bring your bring your 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 amount in and no matter what came in, everybody got the same amount. What doesn't, it doesn't work. And so he changes it, and then he says, well, you get to keep this much more uh, of what you have. Now he puts land ownership into their own hands. Yeah. You work your land, however much you make, you get you get the spoils of that. All of a sudden, what was being brought in in way of their tax system at that time to try and feed everybody through the winter. Now it skyrockets yeah. and he goes, Oh, this socialism thing doesn't work. It's not like America in its origins hasn't tried yeah. something like this. It tried it failed immediately and got out of it. I went to communist China uh, a couple years ago. And I would say that a lot of Chi- the Chinese believe in the free market system even more than Americans do because they ran into the very same problem. You were supposed to produce this much. You couldn't produce that much. We're going to let you keep everything over here. And now everybody's being because they can keep something for themselves. And, and that is not greed so much as I think that it is taking care of your own family, which is godliness. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and property rights play a key role into that, key role in that functionally, and it comes out that's derived out of biblical um, tenets as well. And if you if you look at Jesus's parables, a whole lot a whole lot of them are around finance, absolutely to the point the one you told, and they're all around like that. The other interesting thing about Jesus, as you because he never he never condemns wealthy people for being wealthy. That's like, right. Uh, Joseph of uh, Armathe- Arimathea, Arimathea, Arimathea yeah. was a wealthy man, and he. 
he was quite a godly man and called out yeah. that way. The other interesting thing about Jesus, as he as he does his ministry, the further out he is from Jerusalem, the more he talks in a way an entrepreneurial type of standpoint. The closer Jerusalem Jerusalem he gets, the more critical he gets. Because what he's getting critical of is what's actually going on in Jerusalem, and even in, particularly in the temple. Taking advantage, Taking advantage. of the Gentile people. Yeah, the loss of who, ethics. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't know him. They don't know God. But the, the Jewish people who are supposed to be representatives of, of the grace of God, of, of, the, of the plan of God, are actually taking advantage of the Gentiles who are trying to find God. And he's not okay with that. It's not that God is against money. I love that you 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 brought that out. He he's not against uh he he's not against even the rich young ruler yeah. when he tells him sell everything and come and follow me. If you don't realize he's literally saying to that young man, you'll be the thirteenth disciple. I'm gonna let you. But this stuff has you. The problem is not that you have all this stuff. It's that all that stuff has you. Yes. And if you will, if you give that up, it won't have you anymore. Then you'll be useful to me. And it says the guy went away very sad because of all that he had. So it's not, God is not against, well, in fact, God makes Solomon the richest man who ever lived. Job is unbelievable. That's the first book of the Bible that was ever written, his book of Job. He's unbelievably rich. Yeah, Jabez, who yeah. His, his, his territory increased and becomes very wealthy. David is yeah. unbelievably rich. These the, God is not against wealth. He's against wealth having you. Yes. And he, also, even if you look at Jewish people today, is Jewish people have a... Um, you know, I guess the stereotype of they do well in business and finance. And in banking, yeah. And in banking and all that. Well, why is that? Well, it's because they've been, even if they're secular Jews, they've been taught these principles and behavioral patterns for 3,500 years. So they're just a lot more practice than everybody else. Yeah, you else. lend to every man, but no, you won't borrow from any. That's yeah. part of the, the word that was spoken over those people, and they've lived it out. They've learned how money works. Yeah. And that's what I think so many people... They don't, they, we just don't know how money works. And you know, going back to the ethic behind Hebrew capitalism, it, I think you could nail it down just to this very practical, simple statement. The ethics come when you don't make anything else an idol, except, yeah. except, you know, God is, the, God is God. Nothing else is the idol. And what happens with crony capitalism with this, this, when we start to steamroll people to get what we want, we've made other things idols yes. in our lives, and we've placed them above where God should be. And I think the idea of Hebrew capitalism and good capitalism, a good free market society, is that nobody is saying money is my God. They're saying, no, money's a tool. tool. I might have a lot of it, but how can I use this to honor my God, who is God of Abraham, Isaac, it's and Jacob? A, it's just a necessary means of exchange. I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh all the time, especially when I was young. I'm, so I'm about 14 years old. And I remember something he always said. He always said that small business is the backbone of America. Like everything else, big corporations, they can go off track. As long as the average guy working in his town, making something, producing, making somebody else's life better. So that is the core of what is great about America. Yeah, and, and, and part of that relates back into the kind of the political side, political philosophy of, of we have to be a free people in mm -hmm. order to allow that to happen. We have to be free to function. We have to, 
free to function in a sense. So that's another manifestation of being made in the image of God. He's given us these different talents and all talents and all that skills. So to be free is in order to um, manifest those in His image to to do these things to create to build small uh, small businesses and all that, which you know certainly employs. Um, more people than than the large corporations in the U.S. But again, then it goes back to the ethics of it to treat God's other children ethically in the business that you that you do with them. And when you do that, um, especially from a societal standpoint, you'll become an abundant society. And the test of that, of course, is Western civilization and particularly the United States. We are more abundant, despite our you know we're not perfect. Despite all that, we're more abundant than any civilization that's ever been. By a, by a huge margin, even other countries um, today were more um, um, abundant than them. And, re- and the main reason behind that, back to that original, the original, original um, statement there in Genesis 1-1, is produ- productivity. We're more productive than any other society in the history of the world. And we continue to, to be more productive year in, year out, even with, even with problems we have, even if you people bring up maybe issues with unions and things like that. We're still an ex- the most extraordinarily productive people in the world. But that comes out of freedom and I'll also couch that and not just freedom because I always like I always like to say freedom is good but it's not the best because freedom can be chaotic. What you want and this is why again it's biblical is liberty. So what's liberty? Liberty's freedom with ethics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. You know, yeah. as we were going through, I don't know if you touched on this in your message on Sunday, I, I did over at our Pen, our new Pendleton campus, but when we were going through the people who want a king like all the other nations, and God says, okay, this is what it's going to cost you if you do that. There's six takes he's going to take from you, your sons and daughters. So what's he going to do? He's going to take your family. He's going to take from you your best of your land. He's going to take from you a tenth of all of this. Okay, that affects your your finances. And then finally, he's going to take from you and you will become his servants or slaves. He's going to take your freedom back to the liberty and the ethical liberty, right? Um, There's a taxation number there God uses. He says he's going to take a tenth. So this is where you get into how government kills economic yeah. prosperity. They do it through a too high of a level of taxation. And here's God saying, okay, if a tenth is what I require of you, at you that's the tie. That's what every believer, every every person ought to give. Even, even non-believers who give a tenth experience the blessing of the, uh, of the Lord in that way. But then you say government should take a tenth. There's the cap. Yeah. That that's set out right there by the Lord, and and we know that that it gets far worse. One of the great things that we have killing our economic system is just taxation and regulation yeah. uh, that is too high. It's not just God. Uh, God does a couple things in this chapter. He even says He's going to take your sons to war. Well, that's not wrong. Our sons would have to go to war, but not our daughters. That's why I have a problem with selective service yeah. for girls, right? Don't I don't want that to happen. But he's laying out, if we're looking there, he's going, this is what he will do. You're not going to like it. You're going to cry out. But this should be the limitation of that. We've got a taxation system, and we're in tax season right now. Everybody's trying to get their taxes done. But we're paying such a high level of tax that people are having to work for months and months and months if you take what they have to actually pay the government before they start to make any of their own. And we have an unjust tax system in that we 
don't require everybody to pay. God's is everybody gives the tithe. In God's, everyone pays the tax. It's a flat tax, yeah. right? But but we have this weird, screwed-up system where some people pay and other people can pass laws that make those top pay p- people pay more. There's nothing equitable about that. Not at all. Actually, even if you look at U.S. history, you go back at different times when taxes were cut. Um, the example I like to use because it's actually the probably the best one um, is uh, in, uh, I think I, Mike, I think I might've mentioned this to you. So in, in, in the worst depression, you've all heard of the depression of 1929. Mm-hmm. If everybody's heard of that, yeah. that's the, the, if you, if you've heard of the depression of 1920, probably not. No, no. that was the worst depression. As far as the initial indi- economic indicators dropping, okay. it was worse than 1929. Okay. We never heard of it because, um, President Harding was in office, mm-hmm. and then he, Vice President Coolidge, and eventually when Harding died, Coolidge became president. Because their response to that, because of course Congress wanted to pass all this stuff, yeah. and they went, no, that's not the government's role. Mm-hmm. So they Coolidge was a good guy. Yeah, he's yeah. one of the best presidents we've ever yeah. seen. They yeah. vetoed all that, and they didn't they didn't pass any of that stuff. So Congress didn't get any of that passed. So we went from the worst, you know, economic decline within months. We came out of it, and the result of it was there was other dynamics going on. Was the Roaring Twenties? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't yeah. do anything to do that because in a free society, people will make the adjustments they need to make yeah. very rapidly without all these programs, without all these regulations, mm-hmm. and make the adjustments. That's why nobody's ever heard of the worst depression we've had—the depression of 1920. That's amazing. So, I, didn't, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Well, so the so the regulation. This is one of the things. Like when I visited communist china i wanted to know about they don't change their regulation very much and because uh i'm not for dictatorial power but because they don't have leaders changing in and out constantly the people understand what they can build on so when we're turning around and we're changing policy all the time through uh executive action but not necessarily through legislative action then that means that when one leader comes in just like biden comes in and screws up everything that trump had done right with a stroke of the pen because he could because we couldn't get legislative action through that made it the law of the land we're gonna always have that problem while we're living like this because this isn't the way that America was designed yeah. to be. There's actually a good. I mentioned an Austrian economist earlier. There is one 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 guy. Uh, um, I mean, still around. This back from uh, many years ago, early in the 20th century. Robert Higgs. He's an Austrian economist. He wrote this article. I think it was 1999 or so, and titled it. Um, regime uncertainty but it's to the very point nathan you just said is that's what he's talking about when people don't know what's going to happen or have a notion that maybe the government's not going to do something positive for yeah. them regime uncertainty is they hold back they don't invest they don't they uh, sit on their pull money, their money offshore yeah, yeah pull just, their money offshore yeah, or just yeah. sit on it and we so we don't get the the rise back up out of that because they just don't trust What's going to happen? Well, and you see when Trump, one of the best things he was able to accomplish when it came to economics was the tax cut. That was legislative action. And you see how much growth we had under Trump after those tax cuts were put in place. It's because people were like, this is now law. 
you can't just come in. Biden can't just come in and sweeping and just sweep that away with the stroke of the pen anymore. And I think we saw, you know, in sixteen to twenty, we've seen we saw rocket fuel added to our economy. Yeah, I, you know, I remember, you know, Barack Obama was saying to Trump, "What kind of magic wand do you have to get the economy rolling?" Yeah, like the it? one that's in my pocket yeah, right. that I know how to use. <laughs> and it was good policy. It, it was good policy. It was deregulation, tax cuts, let people be free. And then you will see just rocket fuel added to this to any society. I, I feel like it, it it shouldn't be hard for people to get this, but for some reason, it is. And it, and that's that you know you get these you get these people that are constantly out there saying nope, capitalism's is wrong. I, I mean, there was a Butler student that I sat with uh, during the campaign. I was running the congressional campaign, uh, and he he three hour interview. He's a junior poli sci student at Butler University in in Central Indiana, and he he goes on for for three hours with me on how communism is the best form of economic uh, growth that we could ever push into a society. Uh, he said, capitalism is, is one of the worst, one of the worst the world's given us. I'm like, show me examples. He had no examples. I mean, he couldn't point it's to anything. It's not true because, but it's the feeling like, and that's what the problem yeah. is. The socialism and capitalism or communism leads to tugging the heartstrings. People will get, Oh, well, like if everybody has what they need, that's just really what should that that's really what we should go for. And, and I, and I say, hey, listen, I want everyone to have what they need too, but it's not the government's job to give them what they need. No, it's called, it's called work. Yeah. And, and God blesses the work of our hands. Nowhere does God uh, praise laziness. Never. You'll never find it. And before there was sin, there was work. Adam had a job. Yeah. His job was to be the gardener. His job was to name name the animals. Work is not the result of sin. It is the gift of God. It gives us purpose. It gives us uh, drive. It provides for our families. The Bible says, if a man should not work, neither shall he eat. Now, how many people in America would be going very yeah. hungry if we just applied that principle? But when you have 99 weeks of unemployment, you know, that, that we're going to give out, when do people actually start working looking for jobs uh week 97 98 99 because they're 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 concerned at that point i i also get people who you know they're they they're christians but they have a misreading of the text in acts that talks about that in those times everything was uh they, they, they had everything, everything in common yeah. and they say see that's communism and the thing that they don't understand is communism is the result of uh, of 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 government taking something. Yep. Whenever you have something like that, that was the result of love, and love and government are two different things entirely. You know, I, um, nobody made Barnabas sell his land; he wanted to do that. Now, I find it interesting in America; you can always pay more taxes if you want to <laughs> that's right than what's required but i can never find a, anybody a doing that the socialists don't do that they yeah. do that well, i certainly. just don't understand and <laughs> and it was only practiced for a time like that it was and it was because there was a radical gift of giving that was in the heart nothing prevents us from being charitable nothing prevents us from giving you know i i give my tenth and then i give more besides that. Nobody makes me do that. I want to do that. I I then don't love it whenever the government comes in, takes more from me than they should. I know where I'd rather give it. I know programs that do it better. Yeah. Right? If you read um if you read the tenets of communism, what Karl Marx wrote in the mm -hmm. Communist Manifesto, all those are in opposition to biblical tenets. Yeah. 
Yeah. Without yeah, well, a doubt. Well, Karl Marx, even too, I mean, you can go back and study his life. And yeah. I mean, he was basically demon possessed. Yeah. I mean, you look at how he, you know, what his wife said about him and things like how he acted. I mean, yeah, he was not a godly dude. And now you have, even in Christian universities around this this nation, you have people uh, lifting up Karl Marx, saying he's someone that we should look to for uh, guiding our land and, and uh, you know, economic freedom. And you're just like, what? How's this possible? Yeah. I yeah. got a little story with that. I, um, I read the uh, Communist Manifesto a number of years ago, and I knew when I read it, it's not very long, not very long, so it's pretty easy read. I knew when I read it, I wouldn't agree with it. But after I w- read it, I thought, oh my God, who could ever think this was a good idea? I thought it would come out with some type of structural comments, uh, I guess there were some philosophical, more structural comments and system design comments and about that. And basically what it is, he's whining about people and he doesn't like it. So therefore (laughs) he wants to take things away from it. There's nothing of any depth in there, which just shocked me that I thought, and people read this and say, Hey, wow, this (laughs) is what we should do. Victim mentality. That's all that we seem to be pushing today. If it hurts my feelings, we have to change. It can't, everything has to be fair. Who, who told you that? Not even the gospel is fair. If the gospel were fair we'd all burn in hell that's fair that's right yeah we don't live by fairness we're living by grace so are you sure you want life to be fair and who told you that was going to happen because they gave you a whole a a, a whole really terrible uh lesson in living Mm -hmm. because it's just not that way it's you're you're right. Communism is an equal misery for all. You know what I mean? It's Every time it, it's been tried. It, it, yep, absolutely. Yeah. Back to that yeah. that student you mentioned before. Yeah. But I probably won't see him again. But uh, you could reference him to read the the Black Book of Communism, which is yeah. written by I think a group of four or five economists that just gathered up all the data from all the communist regimes, all the death and misery, and all that yeah. compiled it into a book. That's amazing. Wow, Black yeah. Book of Communism. Well. Yeah. Uh, Jim, this is fascinating. I, I mean, I, we're running out of time here, so I hate to cut this you off. You should come back. Yeah. I mean, because I like this. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're really hitting on aspects of God's nature that many people don't ever put together. You know, I think they think uh, just in the same way they think politics and God are separate somehow. Many times people think economics and God are, se- are separate somehow. Yeah. Some, somehow we've just kind of gotten into our mind that God is only about just loving people and getting them to heaven. Like, and and when all that we see, everything that has been created has been created by by him. We see all these things, these economic systems, these political systems, they've all been, those were God, that was God inspired, the yeah, Hebrew yeah. inspiration behind how to live together yeah. in peace. Well, it's, God is a God of commodities, yeah. right? He says, all the silver in the world is mine, all the all the gold is mine, all the cattle on a thousand hills, all the creatures of the forest, everything that's in the land, right? The everything under heaven is it's mine yeah. and then he doles it out to us in stewardship yeah. and he's and he's literally said to humanity it's never been rescinded you know that you are you're to go out and 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 occupy this earth and to use its yes. its its given things for for the benefit, make my yeah. kingdom happen here on earth as it is in heaven. We're to have dominion over That's it, right. but we're to do it as a reflection of him being made in his image that's right yeah that, that. that stewardship is at the very core yeah. of of walking with the lord yeah 
I love it. Well, hopefully you were inspired by this. You know, get out there and create. God has made you a creator because he's made you in his image and he's a creator. So go out there, create, create whatever you feel like the Lord has put on your heart to do. Start a business. Yeah, start a business, you know, serve your fellow man, serve God's God's people. And and I think you'll see God uh, really shine through you and and in ways that you never maybe thought possible and in ways that will fi- you'll find great purpose and uh and really excitement in life. Hey, thank you yeah. so much for being here Jim, today. Thank man. you. Jim, it was awesome. It was hey, tell everybody that they uh, they need to like us. Yes. Yeah. We we just need to record. We're really like a, bad self promoters. Yes. Yeah, so like us on Facebook uh, on i the what is it, Apple Podcast, Spotify. Share it. Subscribe. Uh, all that good stuff. Um, you know, Jesus, sex, and politics. Tell your tell your grandma about this podcast. <laughs> Actually, refer a liberal, make a man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tell your liberal friends about this podcast, and then they'll never talk to you again. But uh, yeah, so like us, subscribe, uh, and we we're, and Jim again. We thank you so so much for coming in. Well, and thank you. Yeah, we'll have you back for sure. So, well, this has been Jesus, sex, and politics. I'm really skinny. And uh, the skinniest I've seen you in a (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's going to help you. You'll Uh, like it. You know, I'm going to win this battle. You are not going to win. You've slowed down. You've plateaued. I have plateaued, but I have a plan. I've got seven days to whoop your tail. Uh, Hey, whatever it takes to win. This has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics. I'm Micah. And I'm Nathan. We talk about all those things culture doesn't want to talk about. That'll scare you. See you next time. Take care.